You're listening to the Bay Christian Family Church Podcast. Praise God. Did you see that? Open your Bible at Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering His rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. Indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Family, the necessity of faith is enormous. The word is very clear that the just shall live by faith. It's not something that we do as a side item as a Christian. You know, people sometimes have something to say about, you know, that word of faith, people. Well, the Bible is very clear in Hebrews eleven six. 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. In fact, it goes so far to say, whatever's not of faith is sin. So we live by faith. Faith is the ingredient. Now, how does that faith come? By hearing and hearing the word of God. And that faith is so that we can receive everything that God has ordained for us to walk in and to enjoy that He's already provided for on the cross. So why is it that so many people struggle to receive from the promises of God? And he says it very clearly here. He says, because it was not mixed by faith. They heard the word, but it didn't profit them because it was not mixed with faith. So there's more to faith than just the hearing of it. That's the beginning of it. Faith comes by hearing. Everybody who ever hears the word of God, even your most devout atheist, when he hears the word of God, has received faith. That's the evidence of hearing the word. So having heard the word, every human who's ever heard a scripture spoken to them received the faith that was in that word. I cannot throw water on you and you not get wet. So by hearing the word, faith did come. But it needs to be mixed. It needs to be worked with. And that's where he's now teaching us. The way to this is by this rest. Verse 4. God himself spoke in a certain place in the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Now, how do you know God never gets tired? The Bible says God never sleeps nor slumbers. I still want to figure that one out. Because I, could, I would prefer to live life without sleep. But it's also a gift, so I receive it freely. Thank you, Jesus. It is a gift. I know some of us love our sleep, but I've got other things to do. But I do realize for health reasons I need to sleep. And so I have to receive it. God's given it as a gift. While I'm in this, this, this body, I need to do that. You and I need to have healthy sleep. Say amen. amen. And he calls it a sweet sleep. So it's not tormented by nightmares and things. If someone says, I don't know why I always have these bad dreams. Well, take authority. Tell them to stop and cease. I receive only sweet sleep. Amen. And the point I'm making is God never sleeps. Never slumbers. So why did he rest? Because that's what we're learning. There's a key to faith in this resting. And he says in verse 9, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered God's rest has yourself, you, also ceased from your works, 
as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. That's what we're looking at. That's what we're working on. And so we've had a look through the history of the kingdom of God. We saw that Adam was taught that right from the beginning. The moment he was created, the next day, God showed him how to rest. And then from there, we see it expanded. We had a look at the faith of Abraham. We saw the power of the seed with Isaac. And then we saw the power of the vow when it came to Jacob, who was then later named Israel. And Israel had many sons, as you know. And one of those sons is Joseph. Joseph was his favorite son. Joseph, you know, was that son that he was drawn to and gave him a beautiful coat of many different colors. The Bible says he's a very handsome man. And the brothers were envious of him. And we see uh, in Genesis chapter 37, verse 1, now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob, or you could say Israel. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was, this, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report to them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. He also gave him a tunic of many colors. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now, Joseph had a dream. Everybody say a dream. And he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. Be cautious of who you tell your dreams to. Hey man, you hear something and you're excited about it and you expect everybody to be excited. Man, you got to hear this dream. You got to see where not everybody's going to be thrilled about it. Hey Amen. Something that I had to learn early in my ministry walk is that not everybody's happy with me. It could be they've never met me because, you know, once you've met me, then <laughs> what's not to love? The same about you. Hey Amen. You're filled with the love of God. But, you know, there are always going to be someone who doesn't get you. There's always going to be somebody that doesn't understand you. Family, your success does not depend on everybody thinking you're wonderful. Don't let, just let, just let that, if someone doesn't like you, they say horrible things, you just let it go. You don't have to try and change their mind. Your way forward does not mean they have to approve of you. As long as you're standing before God and He looks in your direction and He smiles and He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I surround you with my favor. I'll give you my righteousness. I'm for you. Who can be against you? Family of God, you don't need the approval of anybody, not anyone. I know it's nice. I know, I know what it's like. I like a pat on the back now and then, but I'll be very cautious. I don't take that. And need it. Amen. There's only one who gets the praise. Only one gets the glory. There's only one I need to smile at me. And that's my Jesus. How many say amen to that? And then he says yeah, in verse 6. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I've dreamed. I'm not making this stuff up. He says yeah. 
There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed to my sheaf. And his brother said, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And so he dreamed another dream. Vrachis told his brothers. And said, look, I've dreamed another dream. This time the sun and the moon and 11 stars bound to me. And so he told it to his father and his brother. And his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you've dreamed? I always find that strange. Like, can you really blame me for my dreams? <laughs> I did not come up with it. I was, I was minding my own business sleeping. Come on, how do you know you don't design your dreams? Uh, he says, what's this dream you dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. I'm aware something's happening. Maybe I don't understand it. Because here's the thing. When God gives you a dream, He doesn't always give you the plan to get there. And sometimes the dream seems so way out there that even when you tell those who are close to you and want the best for you, still may not understand it. I remember when Janine and I were called to the ministry, God revealed to me in a vision. There was a number of things that I saw, and all I did is I just wrote them down as quick as I could. And at the time, it was difficult to comprehend. Because some things in there I would never have brought up if I would never thought that. And it had to do with other ministries and how the interaction was happening with Christian Family Church in Johannesburg. Different things were happening. And so I thought, well, I don't know what to do with this. And so I took it to somebody that was very close to us. And they looked at it and they said, that, that cannot be from God if you look at this and this. And he tried to show me things from the Bible. But I said, I didn't come up with this. And that's certainly not the devil. I don't see the devil wanting the church to be planted. And so I said, you know, he said, no, look, I, and, and, he, and he said, don't tell anybody else about that because it was so controversial. So I, all I did is I just put it away. Uh, I had my Bible had come in a, in a little box and I put it in that box. I just put it aside, but I kept it in mind. See, I, I knew God had spoken. And then very shortly after, it wasn't long, about a year or two later, all of a sudden, every single event that I had seen came to pass. And people were looking at it and thought, I never thought something like that could have happened. But it was shown in the dream. So just because you don't understand it, doesn't mean you're right at all. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I do know God gave this. And so his father was very aware of it. How is it possible that I will bow before this son of mine when he's got all these elder brothers? If there's any throne coming, it'll go to one of them first. But his father was aware of spiritual matters. Hallelujah. And so in the process of time, Jacob then sends Joseph one day to go and check on his brothers who are out feeding their flocks. And while he was with them, they conspired to kill him. His brothers make a decision to kill him. But praise God for his brother Reuben, who 
gets him out of their hands and he suggests, well, let's just rather put him in this pit and we can figure out what to do. They put him down in this deep pit. In Genesis chapter 37, verse 25, they sat down to eat a meal. And then they lifted up their eyes and looked. And there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on the way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this is our brother, so okay, so let's not kill him, let's rather make money off him. I mean, <laughs> he's our brother, so let's not kill him, you know. <laughs> yeah, who needs brothers like that? And his brothers listened. And so the Midianite traders passed by. And so the brothers pulled Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Now, family of God, I'm always interested to see how God... You know, the word says that the word is inspired by God. So the, wrote, the writers wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I'm always fascinated by how God treats spiritual matters as just a matter of life. There's Joseph about to be killed. And then the word of God says in verse 25, they sat down, lifted up our eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites. Now, do you really think that's by chance? When the word says God watches over his word to perform it, and you must understand that God's already seen the beginning, the end from the beginning, and he knows how to get you to your final destination. And he's also aware of what the enemy is going to do in between to trap you. He's already seen it, but he's already made a plan. Now, you've got to ask yourself, this is out here in the middle of a huge plain, and there's a pit here in this little spot on the planet. At the moment his brothers are about to kill him, at that moment, this dromedarium camels in the Midianite, they arrive... And they intersect with that geographical spot on the planet. Now, they didn't come out the sand. They started their journey months before. So long before Joseph ever landed up in the pit, these guys were already setting off. And the angels made sure they had a GPS coordinate activated. And they don't know why, but they were just simply going somewhere and happened to hit the spot. The exact GPS location. The moment Joseph was about to be killed. Family God, nothing just happens. You're so lucky. Mm. Family, let me help you. Take the word luck and eliminate it out of your vocabulary. 
We're not going to trust old Lucky. It's a nickname, Lucifer, L-U-C. That's a good way to remember it. I'm not going to trust luck. God already has a plan for you. He knows your destination. And if you would trust Him, nothing can stop you from getting there. And here's the thing. He's already begun plans around you months ago, years ago, that you think you just happen to be in the right place at the right time with the right person, with the right environment. No. That was not by chance. You trust God and He will make sure that you are delivered at the moment you need it. Come on, give Jesus praise if you can see that. So this blessing is at work. And here these Ishmaelites have now come across and they have now bought Joseph. Verse 1 of chapter 39, Genesis 39. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him down from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph. Let me see, anybody else here have the Lord with them? Say, this is me too now. The Lord is with you. Tell the person next to you, the Lord is with you, and he's with me. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptians. There's another example. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was successful, and that carries on with the story. Family of God, you are ordained to be successful. You've got to accept it. Stop trying to fight it. I tell you, there are people that try to fight the success message. Like there's something wrong with it. We must all suffer for Jesus. Yeah, there are times that we will be persecuted. But you're not called to suffer what he did on the cross. He suffered sickness and disease. He suffered poverty. He suffered destruction. He suffered the curse to redeem you from the curse. Amen. So yes, there are times that, we, that people have been fallen, people have been killed for preaching the gospel, but they already have their reward in heaven. We understand that. But that doesn't mean you don't have to succeed on the way there. Everything God's called you to do is so that you can prosper in what He's called you to achieve for His kingdom. Hallelujah. And so God's with Joseph, and so he's a successful man. He's in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. And the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And so Joseph found favor in his sight. And he served him. And he made him overseer of his house. And all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from that time that he had made him overseer of his house. And all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Family, wherever you are, is blessed. Stop whining, moaning, and complaining. I know you're not. I'm talking to the person that needs this message. 
Stop whining, complaining, and moaning about your boss and how they this or they don't that. Start trusting and resting in this grace and the power of God. Believe He wants the best for you. Because wherever you are, that business has to prosper. Wherever you live, that, that neighborhood has to succeed. Wherever you are, that nation has to be blessed. We as the church need to see that and rise up and walk in it. Say amen. So it was from that time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had. The Lord blessed the Egyptians' house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Verse 6, thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. I was just throwing it in there. <laughs> so, this Potiphar didn't want to even look after what he had. You know how wealthy he must have become. That he just didn't care as long as you fed me at night. So who effectively owned everything? Joseph. Joseph lived in the house. He ran the house. He ran the affairs. He ran the accounts. He did everything. He ran the staff. He looked after everything. And all Potiphar had to do was sit down at night and have his supper. And that's the level of authority and trust that Potiphar had in Joseph. But then as you continue to read, you'll see what happens is Potiphar's wife, because this man was so handsome, this young, strong young man, and uh, she took an interest in him. And one day he went into the house alone. Now, gentlemen, here's a good tip right here. Do not be in a room alone, particularly married people, but for every young man, any, any man. Just do not be in a room alone with another woman than your wife. Amen. I made a decision a long time ago. If I'm going to be, if I have to speak to a lady, I'm going to have someone else in the room with me. Not that I don't trust the lady. I don't trust the enemy. I know what he can do. Are you with me? And so that's just a place of integrity. And, and, and you need to understand that, particularly as a congregation, because I remember many years ago, I drove past a lady who was walking to church, and I waved at her thinking she would understand. And I, and I arrived at church, and she got highly offended that the pastor rode past her and didn't offer her a lift. I'm not going to. My wife wasn't with me. Are you with me? So I don't want me driving down the road and someone looks in the car. There's Pastor and Who's that next to him? That's not Pastor Janine. You see, I know how the enemy works. So just take that as wisdom. Amen. Uh, no one, obviously, Pastor Allen wasn't in Joseph's life at the time. So he landed up alone in the house with this woman. And she tried to seduce him. And he rejected her. And said, no, I will not violate the trust of my master. And so she grabbed his jacket and he ran away and the jacket came off. And so then she cried out that he tried to rape her. And so Potiphar took his wife's side and put him in prison. Now, this is the man that he trusted. The man that respected him put him into prison. And after a period of time, 
Genesis chapter 39, verse 20, Joseph's master took him, put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisons, prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Everyone say favor. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. And the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority. Because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Are we picking up a trend here? Potiphar never looked into his affairs. Now he's in prison, and the warden doesn't even look into his affairs. He's running the prison. Come on. The man's arrested, stuck in jail. Now he lands up running the jail. And whatever he did prospered. Just look at your hand. Say, whatever I put this hand to prospers and succeeds. And over the process of time, there are two men, a butler and a baker, and they both had dreams. The butler dreamt about, you know, he was getting cup uh, wine from a vine, from a vineyard, and it had three branches, and he drew wine from the vine. And the baker had three baskets of bread, and birds came and ate out of the baskets. And Joseph interpreted that, that this butler would be restored back into office. For the baker, he said, well... Uh, I don't have good news for you, but you're going to be executed within three days. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, that happened. And so the baker was executed. The butler was then called on to be restored back into his office. Genesis chapter 40, verse 13, Joseph says, now remember me. Remember me. When it is well with you, please show kindness to me and make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house, the prison. So he knows he's there by false accusation. Maybe he can appeal to Pharaoh. This man works for Pharaoh and he's got his ear and he's already found favor by being restored. Then get me out as well. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and I also have nothing, done nothing yet, that they should put me into this dungeon. Well, the butler's restored, and two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. And he's dreaming is seven healthy, plump cows come out of the Nile River. And very soon after that, seven lean, scrawny cows came out, and they ate these plump cows. And then he had another dream, and there were seven heads of plump grain. And then there were seven heads of lean grain, and they dried out grain, and they ate the plump grain. And he had this dream, and he tried to get all his wise men to come and interpret the dream. And none of them could interpret. The butler's standing right there. And all these men are coming in, and Pharaoh is saying, do you know what it means? Do you know? And he tells the whole story. Eventually the butler goes, oh, hang on. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> There's a guy in prison. 
I forgot. And, uh, but I had a dream. And I'm restored today because he had interpreted the dream. This man knows how to interpret dreams. Pharaoh says, get him here. And they get him out of the prison. And so Pharaoh calls Joseph out of the prison. And Joseph interprets it. And he says, the reason for this dream, the reason you're seeing this, is God's given you the dream. It's going to be seven years of plenty in the land of Egypt. And then at the end of the seven years, there's going to be a seven-year famine. And so what I recommend is we start investing today. Take 20% of everything that's produced and store it away. And after storing it away, then when the seven years of famine come, you have sufficient grain put away. And then he says, verse 33, Therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. So Joseph gives this investment plan, and he recommends somebody looks after that for him. And then verse 37, so the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? And Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all of this, there's no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Family, you picking up the trend here? From Potiphar's house, to the prison house, to the palace house. Verse 41. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand, that's the symbol of authority, and he put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen, put a gold chain around his neck, and made him ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried out before him, bow the knee. And so set him over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zapnath Paniah, and gave him as a wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Now it's interesting, it's the same name almost, except for the rock. So it's Potiphar Ra. So Potiphar got him in prison. Now he marries the daughter of this Potiphar. Now, I did a little study on that, and it's divided. There's some people believe it's the same man as some of the rabbis, and other rabbis believe they're different. So there's no conclusion on it. So it would be nice if it was the same guy. <laughs> Just saying. You got me in prison? I marry your daughter. <laughs> but, you know, that, uh, that's just an opinion. So there's no scripture to back that. But Jared says he married his daughter. So the point I'm making is that Joseph is now in complete control. And as you know, the famine hits the land of Israel. And there's a whole story about his brothers and eventually his father. And they all land up bowing before him without recognizing who he is. 
And there the dream has come to pass. It's come true. That his brother and his father are bowing before him as king. And then verse 3, he reveals him, Genesis 45, verse 3, Genesis 45, verse 3, he reveals to him, to them who he is. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near. So they came near and said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. God sent me before you to preserve life. That amazing. The brothers that hated him, wanted to kill him, sold him off and sent him on a trajectory that he would eventually land up in a prison falsely accused and forgotten for two years by another man. Man, this man had every opportunity for offense. He had every opportunity to get upset. But God sent me. Why can't you sit? How do God, where are you? You show me a dream and now I'm sitting in prison. And my best friend that I give a dream on, he forgets me. How do you know? We could have all been moaning and complaining. But Joseph stayed focused. He knew God had given him a dream. He wouldn't be swayed to the left or to the right. He just kept going. And even when his brothers find out who he is, he says, you were just a part of the plan. God got me here. See, family, we don't always understand when things go wrong. God's not the one who creates it. We understand that the devil will do everything he can to stop us, but God's already seen it. And he says, you know what? When the enemy comes, I'm going to take that exact situation and use it to propel you faster to where you need to be. We might not understand what we're going through at a moment. We may not be, we may be confused, but I'm a Christian. And the word says, but God, you said we can go through that. But you notice that doesn't change anything. It's when you choose to say, God, I know the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. Your word is a light to me. It's a lamp to my path. I'm trusting you as you guide me. I may not be understand why I'm going through this valley of the shadow of death, but I fear not no evil. You are worth me. When you learn to rest in the prison, you land up running it. Hallelujah. Says, yeah, God got me here. Verse 6, these two years the famine has been in the land, and there's still five years in which they will neither be plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Now, it, if it was not you who sent me here, uh, but God, he's made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Family, someone defined integrity as how you live when no one's watching. How do you live when no one's watching? So many people will posture at the right moment 
to be seen by the right person, try and get into the right position. But when they're away, they're a whole different person. Integrity is, I know God's for me. And the person you see is who I am in the private moments. Because it's in the private moments that defines your rest. When no one's listening, no one's singing your praises, no one's excited about where you're going, no one's promoting you, no one's putting you out there. But God has a plan to get you to where you need to be. And integrity rests in that. I won't let strife and division get in the way. I won't let lust get in the way. I won't allow other attractions to get in the way. I won't let gossip get in the way. I don't want anything to stop this plan of God. Because God is looking after me. Family, this integrity is vitally important. You'll see it all the way through the Bible. Genesis chapter 20 verse 1 says, Abram journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. And Abram said of Sarah's wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah, his sister. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman you've taken. She's a man's wife. And Abimelech, Says, he had not come near her, and he says, The Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, She's my sister? And she, even she herself, said, He's my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I've done this. And God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know you did this in the integrity of your heart. I withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now restore the man's wife. He's a prophet and he'll pray for you and you will live. But if you do not restore her, no, you shall surely die. You and all who are yours. I mean, something about believe. Something that I've learned. I don't use it, but it's good to know. I don't use it as an excuse to get away with things. I always want to hear God's voice. I want to know I'm following Him. But what if I think I've heard God's voice and I do it because I believe it's God? I believe God sees that still as obedience. Because in the integrity of your heart, you're not trying. You see, it's different. If you're trying to manipulate and say, I'm doing this because God said, and it wasn't God, He knows that. Integrity says, I genuinely believe this is God. And God says, on that basis, I'll give you credit. Can you see how powerful integrity is? What about Solomon? Look at 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 4. If you walk before me as your father David walked, in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I've commanded you. If you keep my statutes and my judgments, I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever. Family, God highly regards integrity. What about Job? Remember Job? He lost his children, lost all his staff, lost his businesses, lost all his wealth. Wiped out. Just him and his wife still alive. 
And look what it says in verse Job 2 verse 9. The wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Job said, even though the Lord slay me, I will still serve him. When we know God doesn't kill. But he says, even if he did, I'd still serve him. Some people just don't get the, you know, something that they want. And then now they wonder if they still should serve God or not. No, he's going to serve God no matter what. Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. And he said to you, you speak as a foolish woman speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Family, sometimes things don't work out. You do know that. And in this house, I don't want you to walk under a false impression that now that you walk by faith, everything's just wonderful. There's still an enemy out there. And what's he saying? Are we only, only going to celebrate God when he's good? What about when things go wrong? He says, this is the exact moment that I hold fast to my integrity. God is still God. His throne is still His throne. And He's still on it. The Word is still the Word. And I may not understand what I'm going through right now, but I know I'm resting in God. Hallelujah. See, Proverbs chapter 10 verse 9 says, He who walks with integrity walks securely. And he who perverts his ways will become known. Proverbs 11 verse 3. The integrity of the upright will guide them. That's why when people say, you know, it's so hard to be a Christian. I go, why? Your decisions are already made for you. There's nothing more to decide. If the word says don't, I don't. If it says I do, I do. Yeah, but what if and could it be? And I don't know. You see, that's the problem. No, integrity is what keeps me secure. The word says pay my taxes, I pay my taxes. No one's ever going to find out why did you cheat on your taxes. And then next moment I've got to land up paying huge amounts and maybe even go to prison because of fraud and all that kind of thing. No, you walk in integrity. Do what's right. Say amen. amen. The perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. See, Proverbs 19, verse 1. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one who's perverse in his lips and is a fool. Uh, chapter, Proverbs 10, verse 18 says, Whoever hides hatred has lying lips. Whoever spreads slander is a fool. See, Joseph didn't talk about everybody, about all the bad things they did. He would have stopped the process of him getting to that throne. Verse 19, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. See, family, I don't want to be talking about people. That's why you don't hear me mentioning names from the pulpit and this preacher and that preacher and this one said and that one said, because I want to walk in integrity. I don't even do it privately because I know where God's taking me. And I don't want to get involved in foolish things. See, Proverbs 28, six, verse 28, verse 6 says, Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one perverse in his ways, though he be rich. Why cheat and lie to get rich? Because at the end of the day, you'll lose where God wants you to be. Better to walk in integrity 
Look at chapter 20, verse 7, Proverbs 20, verse 7. The righteous man walks in his integrity and his children are blessed after him. Kids, you know why you're blessed? <laughs> we walk in integrity. Amen? It's generational. Joseph walked in integrity. And his brothers and his father and mother were blessed. And all that came after that. Hallelujah. And then to end off, come and look at Titus chapter 2, verse 6. Likewise, exhort young men to be sober-minded. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. So people can say what they want to say. But let's get down to the reality. Is there anything in your life that you're hiding away? That if someone saw it. The way I put it is that let's say I'm talking about you to somebody. And you walk in the room standing behind me. And I don't know you there. And I keep talking. And when I turn around and I see you, what's my response? If I go, <gasps> then you are out of line. I should always talk about you as if though you're standing right there. If anyone's secretly recording, I have no problem with it. This has protected me through the years. Somebody once came to me and said, Pastor Allen, you, are, you, you, you say this. And they, they mentioned the doctrine. And the moment they said, I said, no, that's not me. I never said that. You did. I have the recording. I got the tape back in those days. Please bring me the tape and play it. Because if I did say that, I don't remember it, then I would have to repent. But bring it, play it. See, I could walk in that integrity. Because I know when I do teach, I always go, it is written. That happened a few times, but not once did anyone bring those messages to play. Because they were just attempting. Are you with me? But integrity protects. Stay with the word. Stay with what the word says. Never deviate from the word and you'll walk securely. Never say. That's what's the reason. I, I, I just don't have the memory to be a good liar. Because if you tell a lie, you've got to remember for the rest of your life what you said. I'm not bothered with that. So rather just tell it what it is. Amen. Yeah, but what if you get into trouble? Better is the poor man who walks in integrity than the rich man who's perverse. Amen. Family God, that integrity, just stay secure that God has you in his hand. And he's directing your life. And when things come, he says, we'll just use that to propel you. Can you trust God that way? Let's walk in integrity as a people of God. Come on, give Jesus praise. Let's stand together.
Place your hand on your heart and say, today I've heard the word of God. That word brought faith to my heart. And I am a believer, not a doubter. As a hearer of the word, I'm also a doer. I trust the integrity of God's word. And I make a decision to walk in integrity. I choose to obey God's word. I choose to trust his process. And I know no matter what happens, God has already preordained my rescue, the plan, the solution. And as I listen for his voice and I'm guided by him, no matter what the enemy does to throw obstacles in my way, to get me distracted through strife or division, through gossip, no matter what it is, I refuse to participate. I walk in integrity to his call and his instruction, and that preserves me. And I will arrive exactly where God needs me to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God.